Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this week's Everything is Black and White podcast post-game analysis of the defeat to Brighton. Does Ralph Benitez deserve criticism? Is it time to throw in some young to save the day? And much, much more. I'm Andrew Musgrove and this is Everything is Black and White podcast. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove today, joined by Lee Ryder and Chris Swaff. Uh, we're going to discuss the aftermath of the Brighton defeat. We briefly did it um, after the game on Saturday. We're going to have a bit of a more in-depth look. Uh, Lee, it's a couple of days after the defeat. Obviously, we've had a lot of post-game uh, analysis. Has your opinion changed on what you saw um, on the day to what you, you've seen now? Is it a little bit... Uh, it's not as bad as maybe it looked on Saturday, or, is it, or do you think it may be even a little bit worse given the chance to kind of analyse what went on? I mean, to be honest, even on Saturday, you know, looking at the performance on its own, uh, if that was in the middle of a bunch of different results, I don't think it was the worst performance in the world in terms of what they created. Uh, obviously, 27 shots in the end. I mean, only six of them on target, but even then, you'd think if you had a decent centre forward, you put one of them away and you win the game. Um, sadly, they weren't able to do it. Um, I think what hasn't changed for me over the weekend is the fact that the what happened in the summer, you know, they didn't bring the players in they needed. They didn't get a recognised striker in. They wouldn't go that extra mile to get uh, Plea, who ended up going to Munchen Gladbach, who's now banging the goals in. Ironically, Newcastle could do with just somebody like him at the moment. Um, but you know, going back to the game, it just hinged on that first few minutes when uh, Perez missed that chance, golden chance and a, a proven centre forward it took sat in the bottom of the net and then you you could be looking at a 3-0 win on the day or something like that so yeah just really disappointing but um, the problems occurred in the summer basically and and now we're, we're having to pick up the pieces from that almost certainly a lot of talk on, on social media about uh, the Boone incident for when uh, Perez stayed on the pitch and came off for for Jocelyn. a lot of talk about whether the the focus is 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 now dropping for Mike Ashley. Obviously, Mike Ashley was there. There wasn't that many uh, anti Ashley chants. I think I heard maybe one or two. Um, what's your view, Chris, on that? Because some fans are suggesting, well, actually, it's it's kind of pointless to boo the substitution because the focus should be on showing Mike Ashley that the fans aren't happy and that you know they're not going to relent. In, in making sure he knows it. I understand that argument to a certain degree, but at the same time, I think Mike Ashley already knows. I think the fans have made it clear to them. I don't think the fact that they didn't necessarily be as vocal on Saturday is going to change anyone's opinion, including Mike Ashley's, on what everyone feels towards him from Newcastle fans. I just think it was the way the game was going. I, th- I don't necessarily think it was aimed just at the substitution. I don't necessarily think it was aimed at the players who were coming on and off. I think it was just a collective sort of... Um, outpouring of frustration everyone in the ground the way the game had gone the way Newcastle's season's going just everything isn't going right for them at the moment and Hosselu wasn't the inspirational figure they necessarily wanted to come off the bench 
you look at the other players on there, who who else could he necessarily brought on? I understand that it was he was taken off Muto, so it was almost like a like for like that maybe he'd rather have seen Perez go off, but to be honest, I, just, I don't think it was it was aimed at anything in particular. I just think it was one way that fans felt they could show, that, or some fans, not everyone, but some fans felt they could show the frustration. I don't know what you guys think, but I'll keep banging this drum. I, I just don't understand why Murphy wasn't brought on because it clearly wasn't working with, with Richie and Kennedy for all the, the crosses that were going in and all and all the, the chances that were created, 27 on, on, on goal. It wasn't working. And Murphy has got that speed. He might not have that kind of that killer touch, that killer ball, but he has got the speed which which could scare the fullbacks. And from what I saw, uh, there was one moment where Dummond had the chance to put his foot on the ball, point to Kennedy and say, "That's where I want you to run." Kennedy managed to run. Dummond passed the ball. The fullback was just letting him do it. And you've got someone like Murphy who's got that speed. He's got a reason to prove himself. Surely, final ten minutes, make yourself a hero. Well, the, I think. Part of the problem um, may have been the last time he took Richie off, he got booed with that one as well. So that, and then do you take Kennedy off, who's had, for me, he was the best player. I mean, I've had the, the usual responses um, on social media from people who didn't think he was the best player. But, you know, if, if a guy has eight eight goal attempts in 90 minutes, I think he's been pretty much, you know, on the ball um, throughout the game. Sadly, he couldn't find the finish either, come close with that shot, that sort of just clipped the bar just marginally clipped the bar um, but you know it's, he's probably Newcastle if if Rafa can get get him going and up and running he's probably Newcastle's you know most talented wing I would say but yeah Murphy does bring speed but I don't know which one he would have taken off I think the big frustration of the weekend as well as I think fans would have seen the performance of, of the other Murphy down at Cardiff and, and really he was the person who who set their game alight? He was the one who, who created all their opportunities, and just thinking, look where he's progressed, look where he's come on, and yet Jacob Murphy for Newcastle struggling to get in the team, struggling to get regular minutes, and it, it's just it's just interesting to see that that contrast at the moment between the two but twins. In the, in the defence of, of Murphy, uh, you can only get better surely by giving him game time. There's no good kind of you know obviously letting him train and all that, but if you're only getting ten minutes here, ten minutes there, then Without the game time, it's a lot like Woodman, for instance. You know, being in the twenty ones, it's not going to do him any good because we've seen how good he is. In these kind of young players can only progress surely with with game time. Yeah, I wasn't having to go at Murphy there when I said that. As in, as in Jacob Murphy, I was more just making the contrast that you had there that one of the Murphy brothers has had his Premier League chance, only been in the Premier League for nine games now, and already he's starting to look exciting. We've seen glimpses from Jacob, but as you say, he hasn't necessarily had the opportunity. And I think one of the one of the struggles there is that that Benitez, for whatever reason, hasn't yet seen enough from Jacob Murphy to think he warrants a first team place every week. And you could almost bring that back to to the whole transfer policy in itself. He's someone who Newcastle let uh, Benitez sign for ten million, possibly try, rising to twelve last summer, when they, they were being quite frugal elsewhere because he's someone who's with it. He was under the age of twenty five, potentially has a sell on value. But for Benitez, Benitez, given the current position Newcastle are in, he wants players who are already ready, not the ones progressing. And needs to be a bit of a middle ground. And at the moment, I don't think Newcastle have found it, which is one of the reasons why they're in the position they're in. Is it a case, and again, just kind of playing devil's advocate here, though, if you're good enough, surely your age doesn't really come into it. We, we, we talk about Murphy, we talk about potentially Woodman, um, Longstaff, for instance. Other teams seem to see these youngsters... Um, I think Calvert-Lewis at, at, at um, 
Everton, for instance, I'm not quite sure how old he is, but I don't think he's all that old. Uh, Luckman as well, another youngster. And they're giving them chances. Now, is this a case that Benitez is is well aware of just how, uh, not bad situations, but, you know, like you say, Chris, he wants someone who's experienced and that you can't really give the chance to these youngsters. Or is he just maybe, I don't know, maybe a bit too stubborn and where other managers are giving the chances, he's not to these young kids? Well, I think there's a time and a place to put younger players in. Uh, when you're bottom of the table, isn't generally a good time. Um, but it, it's always an argument that does crop up when the team's not doing very well. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of people sort of banging the drum for Adam Armstrong not too long ago. He can't even get a game for Blackburn now, so, you know, in the division below. So, it, it's a tough one. Um, it's got to be, as I say, right place, right time. Uh you know, let's just go back for a minute here to 95-96 when Newcastle were top of the league. No one was talking about putting youngsters in then because, you know, they were flying. They didn't need to uh, um, to bring players in. In fact, Keegan actually got rid of the reserve team um, and the youngsters didn't get a chance. Had a knock-on effect for the club going forward, of course. But, you know, nobody was talking about um, bringing young players in and it's it's pretty much the same situation here. I've watched um, the under-18s, I've watched the under-21s and the under-23s because uh, obviously the under-21s play in the checker trade these days. Um, and I've watched them on many occasions this season and last season. And for me, there's only one player that's genuinely close to, to playing in the first team and that's Sean Longstaff. And, you know, the rest of them, some of them have got potential. I'm not saying that they're all, you know, going to be out the club in X amount of years, but, they're not ready just yet. So you've got to carefully nurture that talent or, or it can backfire. We said, or well, you said after the game on, on Saturday, I asked um, what the issue was. We created a lot of chances um, and you said, oh, it, that confidence has a lot to do with it. Mm. Now, if we're looking for a goal scorer. You've been watching Dinner 21s. You've got Sorensen in there, I think scored seven and nine or something yeah. like that. He scored a lot of goals in the last couple of months. He's going to be top of the world right now could you not see a scenario where say Benitez maybe gives him a call at half 12 on a Saturday and says look you're playing at 3 o'clock surely then he's just going to be riding that wave of confidence and you know he's going to be more confident going into the game than the likes of Jocelyn who knows the crowd are going to not exactly be behind him or or Muto or Perez who you know can't seem to buy a goal for for loving the money it just depends on the character and, and it depends on the talent and you know, you, you go back to someone like Wayne Rooney at Everton when he was 16 and he was thrown in and he scored against David Seaman in the Premier League. Wow. I mean, Newcastle haven't got that type of player, sadly. Sorensen, sadly, isn't at that level where you would just throw him in. Uh, it depends on the character. This is a young lad who's come over from Denmark, had to get used to the city, you know, had to learn English. He's learned Geordie as well, so he's not doing too badly. Um, but is he ready to lead the line in the Premier League in a relegation battle? I would say not. I've seen him play in the reserves this season. He has got quite a few goals, but he's also missed quite a few other chances. And there's other parts of his game that are a little bit raw. And um, I just think now isn't isn't the right time. And I and I don't see, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I can't see Rafa um, doing anything like that anytime soon. He, ha- he certainly hasn't hinted at that, has he? No, I, I, it doesn't strike me as as something that Benitez would do. I mean, he, he, he almost said it a couple of times last season before Newcastle went on the good run the second half of last season that the youngsters, he wouldn't necessarily say it was the time for them when Newcastle are struggling. And 
the the problem Newcastle have got that trouble with the pathway, and you just got to look at someone like Rolando Ahrens, who's out now playing for Slovan Slovan Liberec, and I believe that he's only getting on the bench there. Um, Newcastle have had this issue over the last few years that they can't seem to really progress that many people in the first team. You take Paul Dummett out of the equation, and basically over the last decade since Andy Carroll, that there's been very very few who who've made the grade, and that that's very frustrating. It's something Newcastle need to solve, but at the moment. The, the primary situation Newcastle have is to get out of the relegation zone, and I don't. You'd be taking a massive gamble just suddenly throwing some youngsters in. Maybe one of the one or two of them may pay off, but I just think that Newcastle are going to have to work with the limited resources they do have in the first team for now. So, if the youngsters don't get involved, then what is what is the remedy? Is it a change of formation? Is it just keep working and the win will come? Because Jamal Lascelles said as much. He said, "Look, it's it, it's going to come because we've been playing well." Mm. You know from the start of the season I think he said but the, the, the Leicester game so what is it is it stick with the game plan and eventually we'll get the break well that's what happened last season um, at West Ham when they got that win at the London Stadium you'd like to think that this weekend that's how that that is one of the, going to be the turning point it, it's all about look, look at the look Brighton got at the weekend you know the, it wasn't even a corner ball drops out someone they kind of don't hit the shot as clean as you would have liked and it comes off someone who isn't even looking in that direction and goes past the keeper Newcastle need a moment like that if they can get it at Southampton I'm pretty sure that they could defend that lead all the way through and see the game out um, to get something but football's it's just such a strange sort of science isn't it and it can it can just spin and turn on one little incident uh, one little moment and that it, that's where it's a case of persevering with the manager you've got he's a quality manager um, he's won trophies around the world he obviously must be doing something right Newcastle can't just transform him into a bad manager I don't, I don't believe that for a minute but it's about patience um, Newcastle will run out of time though that's that's what the, the issue is and it's uh, about the people above to make a decision certainly um, talk about boycotting uh, fans on social media asking whether that this would be the right way to go I think they've earmarked potentially the Wolves game which I believe is the next one on Sky I think it's on the 9th of December guys I mean I know Lee you've, you've, you've been here at the Chronicle for a long time so you've seen this kind of action be taken you know, in certain aspects um, is this the right way? Well I'll t- tell you what you can go back a long time even before I was working in journalism, working at the Chronicle. The fans just voted with the feet anyway in the in the early nineties because the football was so bad that they just stopped going. And I think the crowds slumped. That I think it was something like ten thousand turned up against Oxford United at St James's Park, and it, it can't happen. You know, it, it's not a given that the, the loyalty um, will continue forever and ever. Some fans voted for the feet on Saturday, didn't they? The, the attendance was down. You know, there wasn't as many away fans, I'll grant you that, but normally them tickets get snapped up by fans who, who want want to come in and see see a game, but didn't see that on Saturday. So it won't go on, that loyalty won't go on forever. It won't. The, the one thing Under I would say... Ashley, I'll have to say, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one the one thing when I think about a boycott is, what is what is the end game of that boycott? If, if fans don't turn up on the 9th, of December, or sorry, whenever the game, whenever the Wolves game is, what what is what is the aim of that? I understand it's part of the ongoing protests, but 
if fans don't turn up, which is something that Rafa Benitez is certainly not advocating, he's still calling for unity. He wants fans to turn up. He believes that the way they're going to get through this is similar to last year and the promotion season, that everyone's in this together. If fans don't turn up, if Newcastle go behind or whatever and there's no fans to necessarily get behind them and get back in the game, they lose against Wolves. That's another three points gone. And it's not going to suddenly transform Mike Ashley's decision to sell, in my opinion, because... He already knows that fans don't want him here. He's not going to lose out really that much financially-wise because they're still going to get money from Sky for that game. They're still going to get the Premier League money this year. I think the I, hope is that, though, it's a global audience, isn't it? And that, that is potentially the, the hope. I, I understand it when people say this, but I, 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 don't see, I don't see the benefit. I generally just don't see what, what that's going to achieve. I can understand fans not wanting to go, but it would be an all-out boycott. I think the only thing it can do is have a potentially negative impact on the team. But isn't it, in a way, easy for Benitez to kind of say, you know, get behind the club, we need you there. Last year, it was easy for him to say that because he still had a year on his contract. We knew that he was going to be here, there was potentially he was going to sign. With less than, what, I don't know, nine nine months is it till May, till his contract runs out. It's not as easy for him to say this this time because the fans can't see the end game or the end goal where Benitez is still in charge of this club and taking forward I agree 100% with that and I've made that point a few times this season and I think it is a more difficult sell for him and everyone at the football club but as I would say my counter argument would be I don't don't see what material benefit a boycott of the Wolves game on December the 9th if it's towards the end of the season when Newcastle are either safe or basically down I could potentially see the argument of doing it. But when you're at that crucial point of a season, when even if Newcastle were to win three of the next four games or whatever leading up to that, they're still going to be in, in, in big trouble, that you could potentially have a negative impact on what's going out on the pitch. I don't see that. Because even, even if that did suddenly convince Magashi to sell, he's not going to be able to get a sale through by the January transfer window for someone to be able to come in and then materially impact upon Newcastle's transfer policy so I just think the timing for me is just all wrong Fair enough a lot of people are saying that at the end there were a few boos Newcastle bought in the Premier League but it wasn't as you'd expect I thought personally that the, the crowd throughout the game was the best I've heard at this season I thought they were behind their side um, more more than usual from the off I um, thought it was really really good atmosphere but a lot of people actually saying it was it was a bit flat it wasn't you know, it wasn't as lively as, obviously, as we know in Newcastle, it can be, but given this current situation, I suppose that's not exactly a surprise. But, Lee, I mean, how did you see it? Did you see it as, as a, quite a lively atmosphere or not? I, I just felt, I don't know about the, the, the atmosphere, but I just felt the mood of people was just a little bit down, even going up to the game. You know, you meant to look forward to going to St. James Park on a nice autumn day like that. And I just, people's faces just seemed to be tripping them a bit because they, f- they fear the worst and you can't blame them for that you know so yeah I just think there was I mean there was quite a few chants and all that sort of stuff but you know we've, we've seen it we all know it can be better I think I rarely agree with uh, what Alan Pardew says but um, I listened to what he said on Sky at the weekend and he, when he was talking about that Arsenal game when it was like one minute it was a complete crisis and then the next minute it was like some kind of revolution wasn't it when that check to your equaliser went in, you know, Newcastle could have easily won that game. They had another chance to win it and that can be the power at St James's Park but at the end of the day they haven't, they haven't got the players that seem capable of, of you know, reigniting the club at the minute um, and that 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 has to be down to uh, Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley. 
but I suppose, Chris, it's a, it's a cliche to say, but you know, the the, the crowd are the, are the 12th man. Um, but you, you can understand that they're negative. I suppose negative is the wrong word, but you know, they're just they're just asking kind of what is the end goal really, aren't they? And they're looking at this, the, the performance on the pitch, the results, they're back on Rafa, but it, I suppose the question is at what point do fans start questioning Rafa's decisions? Well, I think they already have to a certain degree. I think the booing at the substitution I said earlier, I thought that, that was, there wasn't a necessarily a specific reason for it, but I thought it was all the frustrations coming into one. I think that that's what's happening. I thought that that's what happened early in the season with Matt Ritchie as well. I just think that Newcastle fans, because results are going against them, are understandably questioning the manager. And he has to take his portion of the blame. I still think the majority of it lies at the board and the hierarchy. But at the end of the day, Benitez co-signed that statement, as I keep coming back to at the start of the season, saying he thought the squad was stronger. He said on Friday, bullish, confident, we will beat Brighton, we will survive. That hasn't happened yet. And yes, they played well in large spells on Saturday, but I also thought that the game plan to a certain degree was directionless. I didn't understand. You can put 41 crosses into the box, but for 74 minutes, you've got two strikers who are about five foot eight each up against two centre-halves who are six foot five. Is it any wonder that Dunk made whatever record number of clearances it was or whatever like that? It just There was no... For all of Newcastle had the ball during the second half, there was not one stage during that second period where I thought they're going to score you. Is it a case that there isn't a plan B? A lot of fans are saying, well, actually, it's not working. He's, Benitez is, is waiting too long to make these substitutions. Just, you know, yeah, okay, the bench is limited. The bench is, is far from a decent bench. However, there are options and you have to work with, with what you've got. But all the substitutions seem to be like for like there was n- it's very rarely you see him mix it up. Is there a plan B? I think within games you could argue there possibly isn't. I do think that he changes tactics for games. We mentioned West Ham was the game where everything changed last season. He actually went for di- different tactics in that game, and Hosslow and Gale played up front. Atsu was there to counter, and I expect him to do something at Southampton as well because. Uh, this is the sort of game Newcastle should go into and if they win any, any sort of form you'd have belief that they could go and potentially win it they look better away from home I think they are more suited to playing away from St James's Park but the, the thing I would question at the moment is is Benitez playing some political games I don't know the answer to this question but you just have to theorise with the fact that Ki Sung Young hasn't been on the bench in recent weeks Cher hasn't been getting on the bench every single week. He only brings on one substitute, albeit that Newcastle were playing reasonably well, but as I say, they didn't look like scoring that second half. They needed something different. He only made one substitution. Is he trying to send a message above and saying, look, this is what I've got. You left me with this. I need reinforcements in January. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm only putting it almost in the air, up in the air and saying, is is that what's going on? But risky tactic, though, isn't it? It is a risky tactic. And as I say, he may not he may not be doing that. That may be me looking too cynically at it and looking for a reason as to why he hasn't made these substitutions, which isn't necessarily there. But that the reason that I am led to, to, to theorise like that is just, just the amount of... Dis, the, the level of distrust there is at Newcastle at all levels. Benitez doesn't trust those above. Those above don't seem to necessarily trust some of Benitez's decision-making, which is why they haven't given him so much power over transfers. And all of that is affecting now, in my opinion, 
team selection and just everything that's going on at the football club. Will Mike Ashley uh, be considering sacking Rafa Benitez? I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know Mike Ashley's thinking, but the fact that Newcastle are bottom of the table after nine games and winless, if they reach the next international break and are cut adrift and haven't won a game, that would be 12 games into the season, which is nearly a third of the season gone. And maybe then they've got a big decision to make because although I think that Rafa Benitez is the right man for the job and I look and I think who who on earth are you going to bring in to replace him? Who is going to change? Who's going to get more out of that squad? They, they will reach a point where the board do have a decision to make because they're going to have to say, right, Benitez is our man, we stick with him until January and back him. Or they say, look, he might not be here at the end of the season. Things are going against us anyway. The results aren't picking up. What have we got to lose in getting rid of him and possibly bringing in someone else who will be more uh, in line with our thinking during the January transfer window and potentially transform things? I don't think we're at the stage yet, and our understanding is that the Benitez's job is not under any immediate threat. But I do believe that the next three fixtures leading up to that national break will be significant because, as I say, if they, if they don't win any of those, you've got 12 games into the season without winning, then that really is a very, very difficult situation. And the issue you've got, and of course I'm sure we'll speak about this over the next coming weeks, is that you've got Watford who are flying high. You've got Newcastle going to Southampton next week, which is a place, um, new stadium or old stadium that Newcastle never have a very good time at. And then is it, is it Bournemouth, I think? Is it Bournemouth, yeah. yeah. Bournemouth, again, another team flying high. Um, you look at that, even if Newcastle were in good form, given given especially Watford and Bournemouth's form, players they've got, um, can you see them getting anything out of them games? Well, in theory, the Southampton game should be the most winnable, even though it's away from home. But as I said, Newcastle tend to be better away from home. And I think Benitez usually comes up with quite a good tactical plan on the road against these sort of teams. But perversely, if you actually look at how Newcastle have done so far this season, they've the only teams they've scored against are the teams from the top six that they've played. They haven't scored against any of the teams, any of the four games that... that with the two, two goalless draws away from home, they lost at home to Leicester and they've lost at home to Brighton. So if Bournemouth and Watford are playing quite well and are looking to attack, that is possibly the one area where you could think Newcastle might be able to score in this because there will be gaps. They won't pr- probably have to break down a really stubborn team who just come to defend. So that's the way I'm trying to look at it positively. It's, it, it's bizarre to a large extent that they've managed to score six goals in five games against five of the top six from last season yet they haven't scored once in four matches against a team in and around them but that is the issue when a team sits and defends against Newcastle they don't have that one creative spark who's really going to break open cut open the defence as we saw on Saturday they had 68% possession 27 shots 41 crosses couldn't score but when, I mean but watching it, it is creativity necessarily the issue is it not because you, I watched John Joe Shelby I watched Federico Fernandez and uh, I think it was Kennedy and I think there was four or five times that each player were on the ball and they're literally saying to the to the players around them move move that you could see Fernandez carried the ball 20-30 yards and he's pointing and gesturing to uh, maybe it was Perez I'm not sure who it was but he's saying look there's the gap Newcastle have got these creative players it's the other end it's the players aren't making the runs it's 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 you know it's the the target isn't there 
Yes and no. I would agree with that. There isn't there isn't the front line striker who's going to put the ball in the back of the net, which is one of the players they should have signed and haven't signed. But I also don't think they've got someone other than Kennedy when he's when he's on song and he almost was there on Saturday but just couldn't quite get the final ball right. Who's got that bit of ingenuity which is going to break open and or cut open a, a so defense like that? It's not Shelby. Shelby for me, no. Shelby is important to that team, and I think that he is very important when players broken up a little bit more and he can play the passes through but and I know that a lot of people were really positive about Shelby on Saturday and they were really positive I about Man United and I thought to a large extent on Saturday he was but where where was that killer final ball and you can argue well where was the run there was, an, there was a point in the, in the game where him and Muto were almost arguing with each other because Ken, uh, cause Shelby was telling him to pass it but Shelby for me has to also mould his game to the players who are in and around him he can't just pick the same pass over and over again because he's so good at playing a long ball. He has to fa- he has to adapt to those that are in around him. The second half at Man United, for me, was the game that John Joe Shelby had to take control and he didn't. He kept on pinging long passes, giving the ball away at a point where Newcastle needed to keep the ball. He is someone who can create something and I'm not directly having to go at him because I think he would be important to the team regardless but I do think they need a, new, a number 10 type or, or a creative winger who can just give them something a little bit different and possibly even be the player who, who can dig and, uh, Shelby can play those passes to as well Doesn't Shelby's performance on Saturday kind of uh, re-emphasise my point I don't know what it was like on match the day I haven't seen the highlights but there was two opportunities when he he just drove forward with the ball he went in the box and he had one shot that was um Locked and another one that on the edge of the box again on the edge of the box, which again was blocked. It was him that was um, making the forward runs. It was him that essentially were making the runs that he would love someone to be making if he was on the ball passing the ball. You know what I mean? It's it, there was no one else, so yeah. he can't he can't he can't he can't be the one making the runs and passing the ball. He can't be right, but that that's the problem again that Newcastle have had in the transfer market. They haven't signed those other players to complement Shelby's greatest strength. I don't think the players are there who really can benefit from Shelby's creativity. I don't think that well Newcastle just don't have them and that that is all comes back to the issues they've had, long held issues, particularly from the summer but beyond. And this is not meant to be having a go at Shelby. I think Shelby is crucial to that team and I think he is an important factor in it. But if he doesn't have the players who he can play those passes to, he has to adapt his game as well. And I take your point that he was to a certain degree when he's running at the edge of the box and trying to get those shots in. But, I mean, between him and Kennedy, they must have had about 10 shots blocked. And you've just got to come up with something a little bit. They've got to, they, there was, it just felt to me like Newcastle would get the edgy area and just suddenly didn't know what to do anymore and would try a shot. There was Kennedy's Rabona effort. All these sorts of things. And in some ways, as frustrating as the Rabona effort was, I admired it to a certain extent because he was trying something. He was trying something different when it wasn't working. I'm sorry, this is what frustrates me about footballers. They get paid so much money every week um, and they can't use their their other foot. Surely they've got to be able to use... He had that chance there and there was, I think, two other opportunities where if he could have used his right foot, the the, the corner was gaping. Curl in the top corner, easily easy done. Well, that's easy for me to say sitting here. But the point is that Professional footballers, not just Kenny, but in a whole, they should be able to use their right foot, should have enough confidence. I'm not saying it has to be brilliant, but they should have enough confidence that they can hit that ball with their opposite foot and be confident enough they're going to create something. They're going to create a bit of trouble in the box. They're going to get one on target. It's 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 ridiculous. I don't disagree, but if, if Newcastle spent decent money on footballers, then maybe they'd have people who could shoot with both feet. 
as as is the answer for for many things when it comes to Newcastle United. But positive wise, uh, let's do um, a canny week for I'm going to say John Joe Shelby and Federico Fernandez. I thought both were excellent on on Saturday. Um, I thought we saw, especially in Fernandez, exactly why Benitez wanted him. I thought I I think for six six million or, or so, he's proven to be a very very good. Um, Sign, I think him and Lascelles fit really well. I think if you wanted someone, a replacement on par with Lejeune, I think you found it in, in Fernandez. I think obviously Lejeune's got that passing ability, um, but I think Fernandez is excellent. He can pass the ball out. He's got control, good in the air, communicator. You can see him telling players. And one thing I noticed as well, he wasn't afraid to to, to say Lascelles. Look, you need to be. There was a moment, and I pointed out to you is when he, he didn't grab the cells, but he went over to me, he said, look, you've got to be over there. You, that's where you have to be. You've got to be closing him down. And I, <laughs> I don't know what, led to me, the cells looked a bit, oh, you know, taking him back in a way. That maybe no one's ever stood up in that way, but I thought it was brilliant by Fernandez. I thought, you know, that's what you need. You know, someone, don't be afraid to tell a captain that, you know, that's that's what you need to be doing. Yeah, I like Fernandez. I think, it's, I, think I agree with you. I think he's had another canny week. I think he's been one of the few positives you can take from the start of this season so far. Newcastle are conceding goals and losing games but they're not looking really bad defensively it's the fact that they can't score goals and I think that he has come in and slotted in well in place of Florian Lejeune and once Lejeune's back it'll be interesting to see what balance Newcastle go for in defence because I still think that they lack something in terms of a ball playing centre back Fernandez has okayed it but I don't think he's as good as Lejeune so it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic changes once that happens uh, Not so canny week I'm going to go fire Ozzy Prez. I've defended Prez on social media this this season. Got a bit of a backlash for it. Um, you know, I think he does a lot of running. He was very good against Manchester United. But I, I think games like Brighton are the games where he's got to take the critics and he's got to say, well, look, this is what I can do. You know, it's, it's harsh because I think the Prez of the second half of last season, he would have put that chance away against Brighton, against uh, Mighty Ryan then in the first few minutes with ease, with his eyes closed. And yeah, he just, just straight at the keeper. It was a good save in all fairness, but apart from that, didn't really do anything. I think he's he's quite fortunate in a way that the number 10 Benitez wanted, you know, Benitez didn't get because at, at the moment right now, I mean, unless he drops Mutu back into into number 10 role, which I, we understand Mutu sees himself as a, as a, as a centre forward. I think Benitez shares that same kind of belief eventually when, Mutu gets ready to. I mean, well, we saw on, on Saturday Mutu starting as a striker, but there's no one to replace him in that number 10 role, is there? Well, I think that Mutu, they'll change the formation slightly, so it'll still be largely the same, but Mutu would almost be a second striker, so he'd be slightly more advanced than, than Perez would be. It would, would only be a small tinkering of what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't think Perez was great. I've been, def- I've defended him most of the season. I thought he was brilliant at Man United, but it, it didn't, it didn't work for us. I thought he tried very hard, but he just didn't have that final um, composure, and that's what Newcastle are lacking in general at the moment. I think that that team is set up to suit someone like Salomon Rondon. The problem is we haven't had a Salomon Rondon fit to be able to see whether the hypothesis that he is perfect in Benitez's four-two-one system with either. Perez or Muto off him we haven't been able to see that yet and Benitez put all his hopes on Rondon he was his number one striker target during the summer they they got him eventually albeit on loan came in late he needs to come back in the team and he needs to start scoring goals or at least creating them because 
Newcastle's game plan on Saturday would have been perfect if they had someone like Salomon Rondon. One of the positives I'm going to take out of the game is, and I would like to see Newcastle do more, it was the furthest advanced I can remember seeing Newcastle's fullbacks play at St. James's Park. Dummett was pushed forward, let Yedlin were pushed forward, so when Newcastle had the ball, they were almost extra midfielders, and the amount of crosses they put into the box, if they can do that against teams who come to St. James's Park and have Salomon Rondon in the team, I think Newcastle will score goals, so I'm going to take that as a positive. Almost certainly. Just finally, a word on Muto. Um, missed that chance, the header um, in the six-yard box. I felt it was a very difficult chance for someone so small because the ball's already rising. Even if he jumps off a, off a trampoline, he's, he's, <laughs> the ball's still probably going to be above him because of his height um, and obviously coming at that, that angle. I think it's a bit harsh to say he should have scored. Um, but we do, there was a moment, um, Richie kind of telling Muto where to be when the ball is, is back in the Newcastle off when Muto's meant to be defending. And it was quite interesting because Muto just kind of nodded and smiled and it kind of reaffirms Benitez's original point about Muto not having not learned English, um, not um, being able to communicate as well as he should be. And I think Benitez himself said about the whole smiling and nodding thing and, and he didn't have a clue what Benitez had told him. Um, but I guess in a way it reaffirms the situation Newcastle are in that probably in an ideal situation Benitez would have stuck to his guns and said well you've got to go away and learn English before you get into this team however Newcastle need a, a goal scorer yeah well, it was interesting when I got in on Saturday and I turned on the TV I just caught the end of uh, the big discussion they have on BT Sport after a match and Steve McManaman was talking he was talking about when he went to Real Madrid and he said when I'd been at Liverpool I knew where Robbie Fowler was going to be, where Michael Owen was going to be, John Barnes, all of them spoke my language. The first year I was away in Spain, I was still acclimatising to it. And he said, you don't understand the impact that has when you don't speak the language that everyone else is as fluently as them. And you don't necessarily know all the movements that your teammates are going to make instinctively and it takes your time. And it was just interesting hearing him, someone who went across to Spain into that different environment, similar to what Muto's done now, having come across and it's not his second language he's learning a third or fourth language he's already acclimatising to Germany but it's a different league from that doesn't know his teammates probably hadn't seen the majority of them play before before the start of the season certainly live and so it, it is going to take a bit of time and there are communication issues as I said Shelby there was also the incident in the second half where him and Muto had a discussion because Shelby was telling him where to be there was the incident with Rich in the first half, and Benitez has said this that it, that he's 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 a confident lad, Muto, and he, but he is is English, although it's getting better. It still isn't quite there in a communication level. But Newcastle lack resources. They they spent nine point five million to bring Muto in. That was the most they spent on a striker during the summer, or during the last since they broke Dwight Gale. Actually, as that the most they've spent on a striker. It was a player Benitez actually wanted in January, wasn't necessarily as high up the list during the summer but back in January Benitez wanted him he's he's what Newcastle have at the moment with if Rondon isn't fit and we think he's got a chance for Southampton but if he isn't fit then he'd expect Muto to start and even though he's got all those issues he's gonna have to find a way to start scoring because otherwise Newcastle are going to be in real 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 trouble and just just to finish off we've got a couple of questions from from people on Twitter we were um having George Culkin on this podcast but bit of a rearrangement so you'll be on in the next few weeks but you guys did send some questions in so we'll get them Chris to answer them but just briefly watching the game on Saturday in the press box alongside um, sitting next to Super, Super Mac and uh, Malcolm McDonald um, and, and John Gibson was quite a, 
an experience, shall we say, but obviously we all know what Supermac was. I mean, absolute superb striker. Um, you know, how he got his debut, you know, the, the list goes on when he, the best strikers this country's potentially ever seen, especially this club's ever seen anyway. Um, <laughs> and the groans and the moans is, is mutual. And I mean, when Jocelyn shot and it hit the corner flag nearly, I mean, at that point, I think Supermac was, had his head in his hands and was ready, was ready to leave. Yeah, he was he was brash and almost arrogant during his career, Super Mac, and never short of opinion. And he certainly, when he writes in our column, isn't short of one. And that that's just the way he is. And you could see that that he's exasperated to a certain degree, to the level Newcastle are. Certainly, the strikers are at the moment compared to when he was here. And he's obviously seen the likes of of Mick Quinn, Alan Shearer, everyone else over the last. 30, 40 years and, and now he, he sees them with the strike force they have and he, he's concerned by it. He, was, he did actually give out a yelp when uh, Muto passed the ball across the face of goal because I was just typing something on my laptop and I, that's what made me look up and see the scenario itself. I may have missed the build-up to the goal had Malcolm McDonald not audibly uh, yelped and then during the second half, the Hosselu shot, yes, he was he was far from impressed with that. I won't necessarily repeat what he said, but he, he was far from impressed with what he saw there. And he, he isn't Hosselu's biggest fan. He sees that he works hard, but certainly doesn't think that he, he should be leading the line for Newcastle United in the Premier League. And yes, the, it, it, it's it's almost sad when you look at it like that and think that Mike McDonald was the striker Newcastle had in the day they've had the likes of Alan Shearer even attracted Michael Owen and, the, and then they have the current forward line they have and they just can't score goals what Newcastle United would give to have someone like Supermac uh, leading the line well that's it from us uh, for this podcast we'll be back later in the week with a Southampton preview I'll be with Mark Douglas on Thursday um, this has been Everything is Black and White podcast in association with eToro